0: Hello and welcome to the second series of ETY podcast, Voices from the World of Work. I am Bianca Luna Fabris, Communications Officer at the ETUI, and I am the host for this season. For this episode, I am pleased to welcome Ramek Yagodinsky. He's a senior researcher here at the Institute, and he has coordinated this year's Benchmarking Work in Europe, our flagship publication together with the ETUC. So the ETUI has published 20 editions of Benchmarking Working Europe, and we basically map what is happening um, in the European labour market um, each year and to see what the progress are in terms of social and labour market policies. Could you tell us why this edition is different from the others?
1: It is special for a number of reasons, Uh, because It is on some aspects, it's different from it used to be in 2001 and on others, it's really very special. I'll start with what is the same. What did not change is the goal and the cooperation with the HDUC about it. So it is still about providing a different social perspective. It is about looking at the same data that, for instance, Eurostat delivers, but identifying the social aspects to it. If you will, it is creating the social conscience uh, uh, or, a, or a social uh, reflection uh, about the EU developments, policies, progress, achievements. So what didn't change is that we are coming back and back with it again every year. But what did change is definitely when I look back at the 2001 edition, for instance, is the quality and depth of analysis. We have really gone a long way and uh, we are going both deeper and broader in terms of our analysis. So we have new topics that we've added on top of the making them more in-depth and profound. We've added, for instance, uh, the occupational health and safety. Although in the 2001 edition, as I discovered, actually, uh, there was a little section about that. But this year we have a fully fledged chapter devoted to uh, occupational health and safety. We're dealing with sustainability, Green Deal, regional differences. Uh, gig economy, new forms of work, artificial intelligence, democracy at work, you name it, it's really broad, it's really multifaceted. And what is special this year is, of course, the circumstances that it, that it happens in. It's both the topic and the COVID as a universal stress test for so many uh, areas of, of our lives. We've always been looking for a common threat for all the chapters, and I don't think that ever in the past we had one single topic that was so universal. We have new chapters. Uh, What changes also, we have a new director and new researchers uh, participating to the publication. Uh, We have a totally new layout. We have a totally new website. It is all aimed at really making it more accessible to the readers. And we hope to make an even bigger impact uh, uh, with this publication.
0: So perhaps you can give us a little summary of how COVID-19 has impacted the world of work.
1: Many things have happened this year because This is an unprecedented crisis, both in terms of the scale, its scope, and the type of the challenge that we're facing. So, of course, we did have a huge crisis uh, back in 2008, but it was different. It was never a health crisis, or it was never a health-originating crisis, if you will. And this one uh, uh, really is of a new quality. It's something... Uh, that we have not seen before. But also, it's not only just that it is different because of its origin, but it's also unprecedented in terms of its scale and its impact. We've never had economy or society lockdowns in Europe. In my whole life, I don't remember borders being closed, or uh, uh, having uh, curfews introduced, uh, or having entire branches of economy uh, locked down. We started in March, I believe it was, uh, with telework arrangements and we all were worried how are we going to make it till the Easter break because it was three weeks and it was really, it sounded crazy. And here we are in December and we haven't, many of us, haven't set foot in uh, offices since March. Um, So this of course creates enormous impacts and enormous has an enormous influence over how the eu has fared how the how we have made it through the crisis over these months this is also a multi crisis it's not just a health crisis if you will it is a crisis that appears on many different levels it it also coincides with other crises that we've had environmental crisis if you will uh, just to name uh, uh, one
0: So picking up on what you just said on climate change, we all know that the big battle of the future of the next 10 years and possibly more is going to be green transitions. Um, How are member states progressing towards these policy targets? And in your opinion, has COVID-19 changed anything?
1: Well, it's a super interesting question. Because on the one hand, what I remember everybody was wondering back in March was wow the crisis is going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions we have less traffic we have less car traffic we have less air traffic and there were those nasa pictures uh, from china from above china showing us that the air quality has really improved and everybody was back then or most people were thinking that wow this is really the best thing that could happen climate wise to 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 the planet this is a Self-defense mechanism of our planet taking control uh, uh, over us and, and 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 really trying to curb a little bit the human activity, but uh, this is not uh, uh, the only aspect of it. Of course, we see long-term effects of the COVID uh, that can be there, uh, and indeed, the the for instance in Germany the lowered economic activity will contribute to uh, Germany being able to actually deliver on its 2020 uh, um, climate goals, uh, which would otherwise not be achieved this year. Um, But we have, there are also risks connected to this crisis, if you will, because now that we've had a limitation of our activity, what many experts are fearing is that we're going to rebound that we're going you know to hit the bottom and then when when the economy is open again when we found a cure to uh, to the pandemic that we will retake uptake the activity economic activity to old levels or even higher levels than before because we will try to catch up with it so you know there are it's it's unsure and there are many other green issues that i could talk here about but there are some positive ones that i would like to finish off is uh, that the renewables, the price of renewables is falling down and the participation of renewable energy in our energy mix is rising. Renewables are the cheapest source of energy in 2020 uh, and will uh, be so. We are observing a demise of coal across Europe with most member states having introduced a uh, coal phase out deadline. So, you know, there are some positive uh, aspects of it. It all adds up to almost 35% uh, uh, share of renewables in the total EU electricity mix. I mean, that is pretty awesome, I would say.
0: Do you think collective bargaining can help overcome the crisis? I know it's possibly a rhetorical question, and and most of of our podcast audience will respond yes, but perhaps you can just spell it out for us?
1: With great pleasure. It is by no means self-evident, I would say, and uh, uh, we need to understand one thing. We need to understand the nature of the crisis and we also need to learn from the old crisis and what mistakes were taken back then. That would be the starting point. And what happened back into the 2008 crisis was that actually there was austerity uh, introduced on a massive scale and it suppressed, uh, you know, the demand side of the economy. What collective bargaining is actually uh, advocated to do uh, here is that it is a means to reviving economies. It is a means to sustaining the purchasing power of uh, workers, of uh, 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 market participants, if you will. And by creating demand, we are actually uh, going to be able to revive the economy much more easily and not push it further down into a downward spiral of uh, restrictive austerity measures, uh, and uh, a really lacking uh, economic impulses for the economy to bounce back to the old levels. So, we need a minimum uh, universal minimum wage in Europe because we need more uh, purchasing power among the workers. We need to really also value the work of workers. By that, we will Uh, be able to combat the crisis much more effectively but in order to get decent wages for workers in Europe we need collective bargaining because they are inherently linked. That's why we need stronger collective bargaining, that's why we need a minimum wage directive in Europe as being proposed by the uh, Commission.
0: How has COVID-19 impacted the way that we organize and do you think democracy at work is, is really possible in an almost online world?
1: I think you know, that's, a, that's a million dollar question because it's one that we absolutely need to answer and uh, uh, we need to work with, uh, uh, with workers' participation, uh, workers' information consultation participation as a resource to combat the crisis. But I'll start uh, uh, with your question, actually. It impacted, so the COVID impacted uh, workers' participation in many ways. Uh, in some new ways and to some extent it's actually not so new because we did have what's not so new is that we did have a lot of restructuring going on before the crisis before the COVID companies have you know people still continue to referring often to restructuring as an extraordinary exceptional event in a lifetime of a company which it is not our survey among EWC members uh, in 2018, so pre-COVID era, but still relevant, shows that restructuring occurred in 91%, for 91% of uh, the respondents' restructuring occurred in the past three years uh, in the company. So this is something that is taking place constantly in companies. And in that regard, uh, the pandemic brought in, of course, a COVID-19-induced restructuring, specifically generated by the By the pandemic or in the pandemic uh, uh, circumstances. But it is not so new as a phenomenon uh, uh, as such. Now it of course it did have a lot of impact on different areas because there are new challenges for workers. Uh, They need to respond to site closures, increased site closures, telework demands that come with a lot of aspects, uh, uh, wage reduction as well because we've got the pandemic and we all need to sort of belt in. But also the, the unprecedented or the, the, the new aspect that came to the fore is the whole health and safety workers representation. That is absolutely key now in companies uh, and that offers a chance for this form of worker representation to, to get new meaning. So I would finish off by saying that we really need workers representation and trade unions To get out of the crisis and to fight also other aspects of this crisis because trade unions are schools of democracy where you have more worker participation in companies. Those who is a citizen in the workplace is also a citizen at large and people who engage at company level in democracy at work and are provided opportunities for that are more likely to vote in general elections, are more interested in politics and uh, generally uh, uh, they have a more positive attitude towards democracy and are more uh, resilient also to populism, which is of course one of the challenges that we're facing now in Europe. So we do need worker representation. Without it, we cannot get out of the uh, uh, pandemic on a sustainable, in a sustainable way.
0: I have one final question for you. How do you think that the future of work will look like after the pandemic?
1: This is a question probably for more than one uh, uh, dissertation and many books will be written about it. But at this stage, what we can say is that there are tools to think about the future in a structured way. We can prepare for what the future is going to be. And we do need to be prepared because we want to get out from this crisis stronger. Uh, Winston Churchill said, never let a good crisis go to waste, and this is exactly what we should do. You know, there are, with the foresight methodology that we employ and present in in the benchmarking, we actually uh, are advocating that the structured approach to thinking about the future is feasible and is the right tool to use. And with this foresight methodology, we actually identify a number of challenges that the Europe is awaiting or, or is, is facing or is going to face. These are the societal consequences of the pandemic with more migration, with challenges to gender economy uh, equality, sorry. we have challenges to civil uh, society, social attitudes, uh, uh, social fracturing, uh, all these aspects uh, will be uh, under influence of the pandemic for the, for the next decade. We also have technological impact of the pandemic, that we can think about what is it going to be in the future and how we can prevent uh, uh, the, the negative aspects or the negative consequences from happening. And we also can think in the same way, in the same structured way, about the environmental consequences of the pandemic. How do we approach, you know, the use of oil, uh, fossil fuels, uh, renewables, uh, what is going to be the situation with the corporate social responsibility uh, for instance, uh, in a scenario where we are using we're producing more waste because of hygienic reasons and the need to uh, uh, produce more uh, hygiene protection, personal protective equipment, and so on and so on. We know how to do it. and we do have a limited but still, Uh, some control over what future do we choose for us for the next 10 years and even longer term. And that's what we need to do because we cannot let chaotic responses to chaotic events take control of our lives. We can, by knowing what events are coming, we can prepare for them.
0: I think our episode has come to a close. Thank you so much, Ramek, for being with me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: If you're interested to know more, please